0: We are going to begin in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. And it says it like this The wife of Zebedee approached Jesus with her sons, James and John. She knelt before him and asked him for a favor. He said to her, What is it that you want? And she answered, Make the decree that these, my sons, will rule with you in your kingdom one sitting at your right hand and one on your left. And Jesus replied, You don't know what you are asking. Then looking in the eyes of James and John, Jesus said, Are you prepared to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And are you able to endure the baptism into death that I'm about to endure? And they answered him, Yes, we are able. Verse 23, You will indeed drink the cup of my suffering and be immersed into my death, Jesus told them. But to be the ones who sit at the place of highest honor is not mine to decide. My Father is the one who chooses them and prepares them. The other ten disciples were listening to all of this, and a jealous anger arose among them and against the two brothers. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to his side and said, Kings and those with great authority in this world will rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others, because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the son of man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone, and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we're gonna pick up in the middle of verse one. It says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And may God add his blessing to our reading. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about Jesus, if that's okay. It was about 30 years ago that uh, I, as a six-year-old kid, received Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, and it was my mom who prayed with me in that moment, and I remember that moment, distinctly, still very vividly. And still today, I'm very much uh, on a journey of knowing him, of following him, becoming like him through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit within me. Uh, Because Jesus is our perfect example in every way. From what he said, to what he didn't say, to what he did, to what he did not do, he is our model. There's a number of times that we see Jesus introducing a new paradigm, whether it's specific to his disciples, whether there is a crowd that has gathered, whether it's a conversation that he's having with an individual. And when we pick up in Matthew chapter 20, this example is no different. Jesus is addressing his disciples and he's teaching them a different way, a higher way, a better way of operating in this world. And as I was studying through this, a parallel that came to mind was that of King of the Mountain. And maybe you're familiar with this game. It's a game that I played as a kid. There's a lot of pushing, there's a lot of kicking, some elbows are flying. Uh, As people grapple to the top of the mound or the top of the pile or whatever we have determined to be the goal of that particular day in that particular game. And it's a dangerous game. Uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, It's amazing that we did not break more bones or uh, need more stitches than we did, but in this particular game, there's a battle for the high ground. There is uh, this, this grappling to get to the top of the mound. It's the position of power. It's, it's at the top where you know, we get the most exposure, the most recognition, the most notoriety, and, uh, and we win the game. And I remember the days out on the playground, You know, when, when, when teams are being picked for whatever game it is that we may be playing, and our fear really didn't stem from not being picked first but more so not being picked last. I mean, that was just, that was the worst. See, Jesus' response to the disciples grappling for position and influence was not only to tell them of a different way, but to demonstrate a different way. That there was an alternative kingdom. There was a new way of operating within this world and with one another. And I believe that this paradigm can be a powerful picture of and for the church. How I many of you know that when the church realizes the magnitude of its presence and its activity in the world, it can be an unstoppable force? And if you rewind to chapter, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has taken the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he begins to ask them, who, who do people say that I am? And there's a few comments given, and then, and then Peter finally speaks up, and he says, well, you are the Christ." You are the son of the living God. And, and then Jesus, from there, goes on to make a pretty profound and prophetic statement. And he says that he would build his church and that nothing, including death, would stop him. And this cornerstone for this new entity called the church, this, this ecclesia, would be the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that this would be the, the harmony, if you will, that we as Christians all share, that Jesus is Lord, that He is God. And that would be the belief that unites us. And the truth of that moment extends to this moment, and it is it not wavered one bit. See, each time we come together with other believers, we gather as the church, and we're fulfilling that statement that Jesus made 2,000 years ago. You know, there are a lot of dynamics that are taking place in our current day. And I think so much of what we see in our world and in our day-to-day news stories is as a result of the hurt and the brokenness that we have in our world. We live in a moment in history where many people feel weary, they feel worn out, because there's a lot that's happened. There's a lot that is still happening. Even as a nation, some of the challenges that we have experienced uh, have ranged from a pandemic to Economic, to political, to racial, to even educational, to whatever uh, personal challenge may have intersected our paths. And I think there's a lot of people that are wondering what will now happen and continue to happen in the coming weeks and in the coming months, and and potentially they're feeling some some trepidation with that. And the reality is is that we don't have every answer to every single question, but one thing that we can be sure of is, is that our hope and that our trust is in Jesus. It's always been in Jesus. That no matter what happens across the landscape of our nation, across the landscape of our world, Jesus is still Lord, and it's in him and him alone that we trust. You know, a question that I have been pondering is, what does it look like to allow the gospel to speak to the challenging issues of our day? What does it look like to allow the gospel to speak to the challenging issues of our day. Because it can become really easy for the primary things to be moved to the peripheral and for the peripheral things to become primary. And the reality is is that our hope and, and, and our trust were never really rooted in the kingdoms of this world. For the church, our primary focus is the supremacy of who Jesus is and the sufficiency of what he has done. For God so loved the world that he gave. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to communicate ultimately in Matthew chapter 20. The very people that would be commissioned to begin and be the church is that the love of God revolutionizes the way that we go about our daily lives. The love of God changes the way that we see the world around us. The love of God defines the way that we are to treat one another. The love of God extends to every person. What was God's antidote to a broken world? It was Jesus. God incarnate came to earth and gave himself. Why? Because God so loved. For God so loved can be good news to everybody. See, I think the community of God's people, the church, this ecclesia, it is central to God's work in the world. We can love well. We can serve well. We can speak up for those with no voice. We can extend a helping hand to those in need. We can be a breath of hope for those who feel as if all hope is lost. We can be agents of reconciliation. We can create space for healing to happen. We can be the tangible expression of the love of God to one another as fellow believers and to an unbelieving world. And I think the most accurate expression of the Christian community is an outpost of heaven on earth. It's one where we are all brothers and sisters with the same father in heaven we're all needing restored by the same savior. And we're all looking to help restore one another. Now, earlier this week, I was reminded of a sermon that Pastor Steve preached all the way back in January. And in quarantine time, that feels like a year and a half ago and a month and a half ago simultaneously. So. <laughs> But it's back in January, it was the first Sunday of the month, and maybe you remember it. He gave a declaration to us as a church, a declaration for this year. Psalm 1914. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as I began to think about that, I began to personalize that, and I turned it into a question. And I said, Matt, are the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart pleasing to God. I said, Lord, are the words of my mouth and are the meditations of my heart, are they pleasing to you? You see, I think the church is at a, a strategic intersection. We're at a strategic intersection where we could be postured to be change agents in our world, in our nation, in our respective communities. And my prayer has been, Lord, what needs to change within me that I may be a proponent and a participant in your kingdom made manifest on this earth? Lord, what needs to change within me? Begin in me. What needs to happen within me that I may be a conduit through which your kingdom can be made manifest here? And then I came back to Colossians chapter 3 and I will close with this. Colossians is a a great letter that Paul writes to the Colossian church. In the first couple of chapters, he's talking about the supremacy of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus. And as we get into chapter three, he begins to exhort the Colossian church to, to mutual love and to mutual compassion. And this was a church that at the time had experienced a multiplicity of challenges. There's a lot of cultural tension going on from a variety of directions. And when we pick up in chapter three, verse 12, this is what Paul exhorts them with. He says, you are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with the virtues of God since you have been divinely chosen to be holy. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weakness of those in the family of faith, Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. Let your heart be always guided by the peace of the Anointed One who called you to peace as part of His one body, and always be thankful. Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with the Psalms and with festive praises and with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the Spirit. So sing to God with all your hearts. And let every activity of your lives, every word that comes from your lips, be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And bring your constant praise to God the Father because of what Christ has done for you. You know, my prayer today for the last number of weeks has just been that amidst all that is taking place in our world, may we continue to allow the love of Jesus to be made manifest through us. And that we would allow the Holy Spirit to bear its fruit in our day-to-day and in our every moment. Can we take just a moment and go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you for the reality of your presence in our daily lives. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. And that salvation is for us, that you have invited us into this family of God. And Lord, today we, we simply open our hearts as a congregation, we open our hearts as the church, we open our hearts as individuals and say, Lord, have your way in me that I may be a conduit of your love, of your grace, of your truth, of your compassion, of your, of your kindness to, to those I come in contact with to a hurting world, to a confused world, my day-to-day interactions. Lord, we need you, we need you. And Father, for those who are weary today, for those who are worn out, Jesus, you've told us that for those who are weary and heavy laden, that you can, we are to come to you and you can give us rest. So Lord, for wherever we are today in our respective journey and amidst all that is going on, we. We just commit it to you, and that's for your guidance, Holy Spirit, in our day-to-day, in our every moment. We love you, and we thank you for who you are, for being on the journey with us. We commit this to you in Jesus' name, Amen.